thank you all for coming. It's actually a better crowd than I expected today with it being the holiday weekend and Pastor Brad being gone. Usually when the, the lead pastor is gone, people take it as a free day off, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. I'm uh, Pastor John Vogel. For those of you that don't know me, there's a few new faces in here I haven't had a chance to meet yet. So uh, I hope I do after the service. Um, I've been around a while. I'm just uh, not the guy who stands up here. Um, we started a new series last week called Mission. And uh, last week we spoke, Pastor Brad spoke about the, the first part of this called Seek. And he talked about Seek. Today we're going to take a look at the fourth part uh, called Send. And yeah, I, I, I know that's out of order, and I apologize to you OCD people out there, or at least the CDO people. That's OCD with the letters in alphabetical order the way they should be. <laughs> Some of you got that. Now, Pastor Brad asked me to cover this part today. I don't know why, um, so, but that's what I'm doing. And uh, by the way, he and Janelle were not chased out of town last week. They were just simply attending a family wedding, and uh, they will be back on Tuesday. So they'll be back to preach next week. Uh, so what are we talking about today? What does it mean to send, or for that matter, to be sent? Uh, what are we sending, or who are we sending? Are we just sending, are we talking about sending people, our money? Uh, obviously, we're talking about missions um, or missions. We talk a lot in the Church of Nazarene about being missional people. Uh, sending missionaries a lot of times to us just means giving money. This is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, many times we figure if we do that, we're covered. We've done what we're supposed to do. We've done our part. And maybe for a few of you, for some of you, that's true. But unfortunately for some of us, that's not what God has called us to do. It's not what God has sent us to do. It's just an easy way out. And changing that one little letter, changing that D, send, to sent, makes it personal. It changes everything. So what does it mean to be sent? Are we all sent? To who? To where? And for what purpose? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I know that word, that big word up there, mission, all by itself, that pretty much brings um, kind of a, a habitual response, a, a distinctive response for most of us. When we hear the word mission, we, we automatically think of something. We think of, some of us think of work on witness trips. Some of us think of faraway places or the, the pictures on the bulletin boards. Um, some of us just automatically get our minds ready for a story about a tsunami or an earthquake and, and victims somewhere in a faraway land. Um, and always, always there's a request for more money. And we just get ourselves tuned to that. Um, it's almost an automatic reflex along the lines of, well, what about the needs here? What about our own backyard? What about... East Joliet and the places across the street. We just need to drive around within a mile of this of this place, and we see plenty of needs for missions here. Why aren't we doing the work there? And that always comes up as well. And for others, the response is, well, that's fine for you, but I'm too old, or I don't have the money, or I don't have any skills. I'm not a carpenter, or I'm not a preacher, or I'm not a teacher, or I'm not 
I, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, I don't have anything to offer anything in the mission field, so what can I do? And in other words, it doesn't apply to us personally. But we're willing to sit through the sermon, we're willing to sit through the stories, or at least most of us are. Some of us will, will find that we're urgently needed somewhere else in the building um, where the speakers are turned down. And uh, I think the problem is a lot of times when we talk about missionaries, we make the mistake of talking in the third person. It's them, him, her, that couple, those people. It's not about us. We don't think of ourselves as missionaries. We talk about them as though it always just applies to other people. And we take it personally. It applies to somebody else. You know, missionaries... Missionaries are those people who live in other countries. Missionaries are Jeannie's mom and dad who live in Thailand. Missionaries are, are Larry and Addie Garman who we see when we go on a work and witness trip to Peru and we talk about them when we come back. Those are missionaries. Missionaries are, are Alfredo Mulieri who will come to visit us from Brazil next week and talk to us and we'll give him some money and, and he'll take that back and do good work with it. But that's a missionary. It's not me. It's not you. They're the people on the prayer cards that may or may not still be hanging on your refrigerator from the last time they came around. They're the people Karen sends Christmas cards to every year. Those are the missionaries. You know, maybe we even consider the people from here that go on the work and witness trips. Kathy Janchek when she goes on a work and witness trip, she's a missionary. We might consider her that for two weeks at a time, temporarily when she goes. She's a missionary. But we don't think of it all the time, um, just while they're on the trip. But even regardless of that, they're not us. You know, missionaries are people sent by the churches where to places where God isn't, to places where Satan is still kind of in charge, and paganism reigns supreme. Those are missionaries. Albert Schweitzer, missionaries are, are places, are people that the church sends to these places to introduce these, these people to Jesus Christ. And except for a few are specially called, like pastors, there are only a few people that are specially called to be missionaries, and for the rest of us, it's our job just to simply support them and pray for them. Except that's wrong. In fact, I'd go, I, I'd go as far as to say that if you really believe that, you're in danger spiritually. And I'd also go so far as to say that if you consider yourself a Christian, if you're truly a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in fact, a missionary. Or at least you're called to be a missionary. And maybe, you know, whether you have accepted that call, whether you've acted on it, that may be a different story. But you've been called, and I'm going to explain that to you in a minute before you start throwing things at me. Let's backtrack a little. I'm going to define what exactly a missionary is. This is out of uh, dictionary.com. Definition of missionary. It can be, number one, 
a person sent by a church into an area to carry on evangelism or other activities as educational or hospital work. Sound good? Everybody agree? Yes? No? You're all asleep? Okay. Number two, person strongly in favor of a program or a set of principles, etc., who attempts to persuade or convert others. Missionary? Sounds right? How about this? Number three, a person who is sent on a mission. Hmm. Is a missionary, right? I don't get a lot. I'm not hearing amens. No. Okay. All right. Well, those are pretty much the traditional definitions. And in the Bible, when we talk about missionaries, what's the first name that comes to mind? Who's the first missionary? Paul. Right. In the New Testament, we think about the Apostle Paul. He went on three big missionary journeys, and he was a missionary to who? Us, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. There were a number of other apostles who were missionaries to the Gentile world. Paul was sent specifically to, to be a missionary to the non-Jewish people. And uh, the other apostles, they were all given specific assignments. In the Old Testament, there were missionaries there too, but they didn't use that word in the Old Testament. They called them by other names, and they were usually, in the Old Testament, they were pretty much within the Jewish community, but we didn't really call them missionaries back then. We called them prophets. They were doing the same job. They were assigned by God to reach a certain group of people for God, that message, and they just had a different a different title, I think. Or did they? But let's look at it. We're gonna look at the we're gonna look at the writing of probably the most well known Old Testament prophet, which Cameron already read for us, so I'm not gonna read you the whole thing all over again because I'm sure you've got it all memorized. It, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah preached in the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah, during the time when the ten northern tribes were in exile in Babylon. This is about 740 years before Jesus came to earth as a man. He died uh, as a martyr, one of Judah's most evil, after a really bad dude named Manasseh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to start by quoting this, and if you've heard me preach more than a time or two, you've probably heard me talk about one of my favorite books, which is uh, it was written in the 1960s by a man named Ray Stedman called Adventuring Through the Bible. And if you don't own a copy, you should get one. Uh, you can buy a used one for about 10 bucks on Amazon. And if you, and, uh, you can get, actually, the text for free online. If you really want to increase your understanding of what you're reading when you study the Bible, just get this book, read the part about whatever book you're going to study, before you read it, and it will open doors to you that you never saw before, I guarantee it. Um, Anyway, for the commercial break, this is what Stedman has to say about Isaiah. Isaiah was the greatest of the prophets and a superb master of language. If you enjoy beautiful rolling cadences and marvelous literary passages, then you will enjoy this book. Isaiah is the fullest revelation of Christ in the Old Testament, so much so that it's often called the gospel according to Isaiah. The prophetic passages of Isaiah point so clearly to Christ are some of the richest, most amazing passages of Scripture, especially when you realize that Isaiah wrote these words some 700 years before Christ was born. The startling 
abundantly clear prophecies of Isaiah that have been fulfilled in the life of Jesus the Messiah provide proof that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. And I'm just going to give you a couple quick examples of what he's talking about. They call the book of Isaiah the Bible in miniature. Isaiah is exactly in the middle of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Old Testament has 39 books and the New Testament 27. Isaiah divides in exactly the same way. The first part of Isaiah has 39 chapters and chapter 40 begins the second section. A clear division of prophecy. And chapter 40 starts with the prophetic passages which uh, talk about the coming of John the Baptist. Isaiah 40 Verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. In other words, John the Baptist would come and prepare the way. And John the Baptist himself said that he fulfilled this passage along with all of the gospel writers who agreed that it was him. Isaiah, the last chapter, 66, speaks about the new heavens and the new earth. And so does Revelation 21, verse 1. There's a whole list of them. I'm not going to take time to go through here. But Isaiah was quite a guy. You know, you could call him like the Billy Graham of his day. And uh, now we consider him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He was obviously anointed and commissioned by God to bring this message. Um, But just like Billy Graham, he never really considered himself worthy to carry the message, which is kind of funny in a weird sort of way. You know, because most of the time when we see people that claim to represent Christ, it, it seems nowadays a lot of them really seem kind of questionable, especially some of the big names, I guess. I know one of the things that I do when I see somebody claiming to represent Christ, whether it's on a small scale or nationwide television, the first thing I do is I, as, I, as I look at him, I say, does that person look like Christ? And I've got to say, sometimes I, I, I look and I say, if, if Jesus was up here preaching today, I don't think he'd be wearing a $6,000 Armani suit. I don't think he'd be driving a, a, a $70,000 Beamer out in the parking lot. You know, and things like that. I don't think he'd be living in a multi-million dollar mansion complex. You know, I think a person needs, who's representing Christ needs to live as Christ. And part of that is humility. Isaiah had plenty of humility. Um, he says in uh, chapter 6, verse, uh, starting at verse 1, he talks about a vision he had. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Isaiah thought he was so unworthy, he was so sinful that just having seen God, he must die. Let alone carry God's message and represent him. But then, 
one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, And I said, Here am I, send me. After his sins were atoned for, after he was cleansed, then he was worthy to carry God's message. After that personal encounter with God, which was a transformational experience for him, he was forgiven and he was ready. What does that sound like to you? Personal experience, touched by God, transformed. Salvation, atonement. Sanctification. That's what it sounds like. Now, whatever moment that was for you or will be for you, it's that moment when you accept God's gift of grace, you allow him to forgive you through his atoning work on the cross, and you allow him to use you however, whenever, and wherever He wants to use you. It's that moment when you stop saying, I'm not good enough, I'm too old, I can't, I don't have, and you just say, here am I, send me. You know, Isaiah knew from that moment what he was supposed to do and what his calling was. He was to bring God's message to the people. He was a prophet. From that point on, God's spokesman, and he was a missionary. And he wasn't just there to bring just any message. He had the message. Isaiah 61, that Cameron read before, just the first three verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Good news is, means gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captains, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Who knows what he was talking about? What's that message? First, remember, it's important to remember that he was speaking prophecy. It seems like he's predicting something that's about to happen. Or maybe he's speaking of himself. Or maybe both. But the year of the Lord's favor the day of vengeance for our our God? Well, to put it simply, the year of the Lord's favor, he's talking about the year of jubilee. And to understand this, you have to go back a little further to Moses. When Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the, the law from God, God told the Israelites that every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year, a year of rest for the land. He told them that he knew that the land would need that. Nowadays, we, we do know that. We rotate our crops, and our government even pays farmers not to plant every so many years. 
But they didn't know that then. God ordained that. He said every seventh year, every sixth year, he would give the Israelites double the crops so they would have enough food to carry them over two years. In the seventh year, they were not to plant, and they would give the land a rest. Every seven, seven year, the 49th year, or the 48th year, really, they were, God would give them three years' worth of crops, and the 50th year was to be a year of jubilee. In the year of jubilee, not only would they have enough food to carry them through, but all the Hebrew slaves were to be set free, and not only set free, they were to be given enough money and whatever they needed to get a fresh start. All the land that had been taken or sold was to be returned to the people that were originally assigned it when they went into the promised land. The families were to be restored. Debts were to be forgiven. The captives were to be freed. All God's children were to be restored to the way God had it when they entered the promised land. Now, what does that sound like to you? What's that a picture of? Heaven. Exactly. The year of Jubilee. And is it a day of vengeance? It is for those that don't accept. It is for those that don't take that forgiveness. But for God's children, it's a year of Jubilee. That's the message that Isaiah was to preach. And that's a pretty good message. Don't you wish you could preach that same message? You know, so why am I going into such detail about that? Because even if we knew and acknowledged that we're the people that are supposed to go into the mission field today, that we're the ones being sent, and it's God who's sending us, we know where he wants us to go, it's all pretty much useless unless we know what message we're supposed to bring. And what better message could we carry to the lost than the good news about Jesus Christ and the year of Jubilee and what he has waiting for us? Okay, so we know that Isaiah accepted his call, and he obviously invested his entire life into that call. He even gave his life. I mentioned before that he was martyred. And uh, um, the story goes that he was... Um, the king, Manasseh, had put out a, a death warrant for him, and he was uh, basically trying to get away from the soldiers. He saw a cedar tree, and he called to it. The tree opened, and he stepped inside, and the tree closed to hide him. But part of his robe was still sticking out of the tree, and the soldiers saw it and knew he was in there. And the king ordered the tree be cut down. When they cut down the tree, he was sawn in half. Uh, that's the way the Jewish um, Talmud teaches that he died. And in Hebrews, it does mention that some of the martyrs were sawn in half, and they think that's the reference that that is, that that is referring to. Uh, there are a couple other variations on the story. We're not really sure which one is 100% accurate, but they're pretty sure. They're, all the, the historians are in agreement about him being made double or nothing. Okay, so let's jump ahead a little bit. There were a number of other prophets, missionaries, that were sent by God until the Hebrews until about 400 years before Christ. And then it got quiet. From that time until Christ came, is called the silent years. There really is nothing that we have that, that shows us that 
that, that it was God's voice speaking to the people through that time. They call them the silent years. Um, there, there are history, there's papers, there's things like that, but nothing that meets the criteria for being uh, the word of God. Um, so about 700 years after Isaiah died, something happened in a little town called Bethlehem. It was right near Jerusalem. And a baby was born. You might have heard of him. He got to be a pretty big preacher for a while. He, uh, he got to be a rabbi, actually, you know, a Jewish teacher and uh, a pretty authoritative one at that. And, uh, you know, he was recognized as having authority to interpret the, the scripture on his own and, and the law. And as a rabbi, he would have been expected and he would have been allowed to teach in the synagogues. And uh, his name, Jesus, Right? Jesus of Nazareth. And so on a, on a Sabbath day, his routine would have been to come into the synagogue from the, from the rear. And if he was going to teach, he would enter from the rear. They would have been playing special music from the Psalms, because everybody likes the old hymns, right? They had, a, they had one for every day. So they would have been playing this music. He would have come in the back and he would have received the scroll, whatever scroll he asked for that he was going to teach from. And he would have been expected to show his such joy at being able to receive and read the word of God. Would have been such a joy to him that the rabbi going to teach would have waved the scroll over his head as he came up the aisle and came through the people and danced all the way up to the front to where he was going to preach and teach from, which means that Jesus danced in church. Yeah. Just don't tell the Baptists. (laughs) It'll be our secret. Yeah. So, Jesus came back to Galilee one day. The power of the Spirit, it says in Luke 4, verse 14. And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sound familiar? Isaiah 61. We just read it. Now, the people have probably heard this passage many, many times before. But then Jesus added a little something that they never heard before. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus' public announcement that he is the one who has been sent by God to fulfill the prophecy written by Isaiah more than 700 years ago. Now, you could say that anyone could make that claim. 
And people do claim that Jesus orchestrated events in his life to make him fit that prophecy. And, and I like to think I'm open-minded. I'm willing to buy that. But first, you've got to explain to me how he managed to plan things like his own mother to be a virgin. And uh, if you can come up with the, you know, if, if, if he decided that he could plan what he was going to be named and he could plan his own gender before he was born, not like Bruce Jenner. But, um, you know, if you could come up with a plausible explanation for those, then, then we'll talk about the 18 or other, or 18 or so other prophecies in Isaiah that concern Jesus as Messiah. But if he was telling the truth, then he was sent by God, the Father from heaven, to what? To preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the year of Jubilee. And I had this epiphany when I read this, I never had thought of before. Jesus was a missionary to us from heaven. In other words, he was here to tell the good news about himself. The same message. You know, every four years, the Church of the Nazarene has a worldwide assembly, a worldwide convention. It's called General Assembly. Um, next year, it's going to be in Indianapolis. And there's always a prize for the missionary who traveled the farthest. I'm thinking Jesus would win it every time, hands down. <laughs> or maybe he would think about it. I In the beginning, that every one of us, if we call ourselves Christians... We're called to be missionaries. And you say, Pastor John, how do you figure? Have you been into the sacramental wine again? But I could start by talking about the fact that if we're called to be, if we're Christians, we're called to be like Christ. And if Christ's number one reason for coming to earth was to tell the gospel, was to preach good news to the poor, was to preach freedom for the captives, sight for the blind, then how can we be like him if we don't do the same thing? He came here to live as a man and suffer and die on the cross just so that we could find atonement for our sins, it would be ludicrous to think that he left us here as members of his body to think that we were here for any other purpose. And then, you know, I could talk about the fact that Jesus' last command when he was here on earth, before he left the earth to go to, back to heaven, which was given to all his disciples, which, by the way, should include every one of us that uses his name, was a statement that we call the Great Co-Mission. Matthew 28, we, we, most of us know it, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice this, there are no exceptions. The command is for all of his disciples, all of his followers, all who consider themselves his children. 
all who call themselves by his name, Christian. The command, the commission never changes. The message never changes. Isaiah carried the gospel message, the good news of the coming Messiah. Jesus carried the same message, the good news of himself, the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. Paul carried the same message. We also are to carry the same message. The sender never changes. It's just like a chain of command. God sent Isaiah and Jesus, the Holy Spirit later. Jesus sent us, his body, his church. And the church is to equip and send us as individuals, sometimes as groups, like a work and witness team. So what does change? Really two things. First, the receiver. With you and I as individuals, or this church as a local church, who are we called to reach? For some of us, most of us, this mission will begin at home. Our own children are our mission field. might be our first mission field. Maybe a group of people we share a common bond with. Maybe anything from an addiction to a sewing club. Maybe our mission field. Single moms. Maybe our mission field. So here's my question for you this morning. How are we doing with that? Are we working in our mission field? Are we bringing the message to our, to our kids? Are we trying? Are we thinking about it? Do we even know who they are? And as a church, one of the ways that we're working on this is work and witness trips to Peru. For those who may not have heard yet, we are returning to Peru next year, May 28th to June 10th. If you, if you, uh, we don't have all the details yet as far as cost and things, but now is the time to start praying and preparing. Is this something God would have you take part in? Another way is through the community initiative. Dan mentioned in the announcement, we don't think our only mission field is overseas. We do think it's also right here in East Joliet. Next Sunday, right after the morning worship service, we're going to get together. Those that are going to go canvassing will have some lunch here, and then we'll give you a little bit of training, very brief, and we're going to go out into the community, and we're going to knock on doors, and we're going to very simply ask people what they need help with that we can help them with. All we're doing is gathering information, and then we're going to ask them the second thing, what can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? We will take that information and we will try and prioritize. And we aren't making promises. We don't have a lot of money. But what we have, we can offer. And we will make our priorities and we will help as many people in the community as we possibly can. Next Sunday, we'll have T-shirts made up. It'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll have people from other Nazarene churches here and we'll do it in conjunction with them. Um, Now, the second thing that would change would be um, the method. And the method, the kind of music, uh, the preaching style, even the kind of clothes that people wear, that will change. Because the things that we have to do, the methods we use to get people to come to Christ, to attract them to the church now, are going to be quite different than the things that attracted you and I to the church when we came years ago for those of us that came years ago. I realize this is a mixed group. But this is probably the biggest bone of contention in the church today, 
is all the changes. And in a nutshell, but in a nutshell, this is what necessitates the change. People just don't respond to the same things in the same way that they used to. And unfortunately, if we want to reach the people that we're called to reach to really receive the message, we have to send it in a way that they will be willing to listen to. And sometimes it won't be the way we like it. Yes, why can't we have things our way? Why why can't we have more of the old music or, or whatever? But if we're the established Christians, if we're walking in the faith, aren't, shouldn't we be willing to sacrifice some of our own comfort in order to reach those people who aren't? The people who haven't heard the message yet? You know, in our own family sometimes. A lot of you know my son who used to come here, used to come here, moved away and hasn't been in a church, I don't think, since he moved away. If he came to me or any of his kids came to me and said, Grandpa, if we could only find a church that did hip-hop music, would you go with me? Do you know have any idea how much I hate hip-hop music? Hate it. But you know what? I would be there sitting next to him. I might have to bring earplugs, but I would be there with them sitting next to them, and I would be rejoicing that they wanted me to be there with them because they are that important to me. If my son came back and said, boy, I really like that new song, and that's a song that I just really, really don't like, and believe me, I'm sorry, Jeannie, I don't like every song we do, but I play them because I know some of them get reached by them, and that's what I like about them. It's not about me. I, I know the message. It's about somebody out there. And you know what? If my grandson really wanted to do that and I couldn't find a church that had it, I'd start one. It's that important. You know, I know it's different. And I know we all don't understand why. But I know this. We have a very wise church board. And we have a very wise congregation and a wise district superintendent. We hired, and and I'm sorry, I just have to say, we hired a a great pastor. One of the big reasons we hired him is he has a lot of advanced training and education in missional leadership. He knows how to do this. He knows how to reach. He knows how to send and reach this community. We have to let him lead us. We have to trust him. We have to trust. I don't expect to understand everything he does because I don't have a master's degree in missional leadership. But I trust him. So. What being sent is all about. We're going to go ahead and break bread together. If there's anybody, as the servers will come forward. Father, thank you again for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Help us to remember and appreciate. And uh, Father, help us 
to fully appreciate the sacrifice you made that we can devote our lives to you as you died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join me to close in prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen. Go in peace.